So you slept in. Hey, we're not judging. Sometimes you just need to get those Z's. And if you need to snooze, we'd much rather you did it at home in your warm, comfortable bed than in our pews. You can always catch up with the sermon later right here on the Sunday Morning Sleep-In Podcast. Now, if you just catch us on the podcast, you are going to miss out on some things that we know you're going to love about church, like supportive community and uh, entertaining children during children's Mm -hmm. moment, that intergenerational thing that is so hard to find anywhere else, inspiring music, and we won't be able to give you any cookies after the church service is over, but we will give you what we can. I'm Susan Foster. And I'm Chris Marshall. And we're United Methodist Pastors in Reno, Nevada. We're not theological experts, perfect preachers, or homiletical harbingers of a new age. We're your average pastors helping our congregations think through life's big questions every week. We started the podcast, so if you're away from home or working or coaching your kid's soccer team, or maybe just sleeping in, you can keep up with some of the ideas floating around the church. Each episode is a conversational version of a sermon we gave on Sunday. Whatever day it is, we ask that you would receive it with an open mind and an open heart. And a quick note, we encourage you to think on your own, to think your own thoughts, to be a critical thinker. Do not check your brain at the podcast door. Uh, We think that everybody has experiences to offer and trusted people they can talk with about these things. We're just trying to give you a launching off point to think your own thoughts about God and life and meaning and purpose and all of those things, whatever you end up thinking, our sincere hope is that you will experience the mysterious loving force in the world we know as God moving in your life as you consider this. So Chris, we're starting a big sermon series. We're starting a big sermon series, which means that all of the podcasts that I haven't caught up on, I'm declaring myself powerless against. Amen. Amen. And we're just going to start fresh with this series because we want it to be available to people. Uh, It's based on a book by Richard Rohr called Breathing Underwater, Spirituality and the 12 Steps. Yeah. As you can tell from the title, we're going to be talking about the 12 steps of recovery, Um, but we're really going to relate that for everyone Mm -hmm. because none of us are beyond addiction. Right. The quote on the covers of our bulletins this week said, there are all kinds of addicts, I guess. We all have pain and we all look for ways to make the pain go away. So we're sort of talking about recovery from addiction and salvation and enlightenment. Mm -hmm. We think they're all related. Related and actually a lot, not not just related, but interconnected. Oh, super interconnected. Maybe even synonyms. What a crazy concept. So we're going to dig into this this week. And at the end, we're going to share a poem with you that sort of explains the breathing underwater metaphor. Metaphor. Uh, But for now, uh, we're just going to get into some basic premise. Okay. So basic premises of this series. Number one, we are all addicts. Yep. It may not be drugs or alcohol. I know. So I said in some ways, people who have external addictions are lucky Lucky. (laughs) because they can see what the thing is that they're struggling with, but we're all struggling with something. Mm -hmm. In the New Testament, they're called sins or passions or attachments, Mm -hmm. and they tend to be non-rational. Right. I, I really think it's important that we put that non-rational idea out there because I think we so often in our culture, especially try and rationally treat every or rationally approach everything mm-hmm. and, and and forgetting that there are just some things that are rational and that we and we that have are to irrational. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So these are things that you find yourself doing that you don't want to be doing. Right. And you know, you don't want to be doing it and you've chosen not to do it. And then you find yourself doing it. Right. Right. So Whatever that looks for, you know, there, like I said, there's external ones, drugs, alcohol, food, food, sex, all of those things that are kind of easy to pinpoint. But there's also 
habits, ruts Ruts. that you fall into. Some of the people I know who are the loudest, uh, the loudest advocates for not being gossips. Our gossips. Our gossips. Yeah. Spend most of their time gossiping. Mm -hmm. So, you know, (laughs) preacher, heal thyself. Um, (laughs) What are the things for you that you struggle with? Yeah. Because struggle, the struggle is real. The struggle is real. Yeah. All right. Um, So that's the first premise. First premise, we are all addicts. We're all struggling with something. The second premise is stinking thinking is a universal addiction. And stinking thinking means that you assume that your way of thinking of approaching the world, your way of doing it is sort of normal because that's your way. Right. Right. It's your normal, right? It's your normal. And so stinking thinking is a way of of acknowledging that my way is not everybody's way. Right. We have different Um, cultures, assumptions, personalities. De- you know, and that our defenses might be part of our addiction, that our, mm-hmm. how we actually, how we very much, how we pro- process our own reality mm-hmm. may be part of our addiction. Right. Well, and, and to assume that just because somebody else is struggling with something that you're not struggling with. That you're doing better than they are. Right. Like, nope. we don't judge here, right? Nope. Like, nope. this is the place where we all go, okay, we're struggling. We're struggling. And, and just because your struggle is not my struggle doesn't mean that your struggle is not valid. Right. And it doesn't mean that I don't struggle. Right. So stinking thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story I brought up when we were talking about this is uh, when Jesus goes to the, the demoniac in the book of Mark. Mm-hmm. And this this guy has been struggling with something for, for so, something long for that so long. Everybody is so afraid of him and has isolated him. They put him out in the middle of a cemetery where nobody wants to live. Chained him up. He's so, this right. struggle is so strong. He's broken his chains. And Jesus meets with him. And the first thing he says is, what is your name? Right. And he's not talking to the guy. He's talking, talking to, to the, the guy's, guy's struggle. struggle. What is your name? If you don't know what it is, you can't fix it. Right. One of the things we do is we're like, well, if I can't find a name for it, I, it doesn't. It's not real. It's not real. Um, or it's too ephemeral, and therefore too I'm ephemeral. stuck with it forever. Ever. So people right. will just have to get used to me. Yeah, this is just who I am. Yeah. Right. It, they, they let it become prescriptive instead of just descriptive. Um, the number yeah. three premise is all societies so not just individuals all societies are addicted to themselves and create deep codependency on them Mm -hmm. this is a harder one for us to see because it's not about what's going on in our own head right it's what's the crazy that we've all agreed on is normal (laughs) right um and so richard Rohr named some of these and i i said these are his so get mad at him not me right but also i think he's right The United States is addicted to oil, oil, and therefore war, mm-hmm. and therefore empire. Right. I'm afraid of something, so I will control it with the military. Right. The church is addicted to its own absolute exceptionalism. Mm-hmm. Is particularly in this country, we think it's a it's a Christian nation. It's not. It's not. It's not. Um, it never has been. <laughs> please stop saying that. Um, it's not a Christian nation. It was made specifically to Clear. be open to people of all religions to bring in their own wisdom and assumptions and struggles. So that absolute exceptionalism of the church is right. is a stinking thinking. He talks about white people are addicted to their own superiority so much so that they can't see it, mm-hmm. that they can't see their assumptions and how they've built the world to right. suit themselves. Um, I've been listening to some podcasts recently on the court justice system that have made this super apparent right. to me. Yeah, And the wealthy are addicted to their own entitlement. Mm-hmm. Which is to say, I have the means, so why can't everything go, go smoothly way. for me? Yeah. We all are struggling with something. So that's number three. We're Number one, we're all addicts. Number two, stinking thinking is universal. Number three, all societies 
also have stinking thinking. And number four, some form of alternate consciousness is is the only freedom from these self-lies and cultural lies. We have to think outside of the way we've been thinking in order to break the hold that it has on us. And so uh, Richard Rohr says, the way that you change your operating system is through prayer. So this is where we're coming at it from. I talked about sin as disease. Yes, yes. I, I also really appreciate that 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 metaphor. Mm-hmm. You know, because we do talk about, like, alcohol addiction as a disease already. Right. Like, I also say it's disease and it's dis-ease. Yeah. Right? Like, the both those kind of permeations of that word. Mm-hmm. And that in order to live in a world where people are still going to keep doing the things that we're trying not to do anymore... Mm-hmm. So whether that's drinking or whether it's gossiping or whether it's whatever, whatever, um, right. we have to Listen. be able to see it. We have to be able to acknowledge it and then detach from it and then keep living where we are. Yeah. Because we can't go live somewhere else. Right. There's not going to be a place where you can get away from it. So for us, then, if sin is the disease, salvation is the healing, is the recovery, is the enlightenment, is a way of saying it's not just something that happens later. Richard Rohr says, we're not looking for enlightenment at gunpoint, which is death. Right. Like, we'll just wait until we die, and then we'll have it all figured out. We're looking for a way to live into our world now. And church should be a place where we're not just agreeing on what we think, but where we can actually experience what it means to follow, to live into this healthy, holistic, shalom kind of life. I love it when the Holy Spirit does this. You know, like I'm having conversations in in a few different sections of my life. You know what I mean? And, and this is a point that keeps coming, rising to the top for me in some conversations I've had with candidates for ministry who are, as my sister would say, refugees from the evangelical world. Yeah. Right. Um, who are, who are coming from like a non-denominational state and they're like, like this whole, we're doing this for what comes next doesn't hold up. Doesn't hold up. Right. It doesn't help today to yeah. think that in 30 years I'm going to be fine. Yeah. What, what people are actually craving is this idea that we are working on the here and now. What comes next is, is the next, it is, is the not, next thing. Is we're it, not worried about that yet. We're not worried about that yet. We're working on this. We're working on this. Tertullian, who was one of the first Christian theologians said it this way. Mm-hmm. He said, caro salutis cardo, which I know everybody has studied Latin and My therefore Latin is so fresh. What it means is the flesh is the hinge on which salvation swings mm. and the axis on which it hangs. In other words, if it doesn't affect you, if it doesn't affect your body, if it doesn't affect your community, if it doesn't affect your lived experience, it's not salvation. Right. It's not healing. It's not recovery. Yeah. Richard Rohr talks about this in the book of the idea that one of the things we've done is is we've we've missed this healing aspect of what Jesus did. Mm-hmm. Like we the early church lost it and we still haven't recovered it. That that the healing was at the core of what Jesus was doing. And that's why we have to talk about this stuff. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so if you want to know where the healing needs to happen in your life, you've got to go towards the pain. Yeah. You can't avoid it. You can't repress it. You can't hide from it. You have to acknowledge it. Here is where it hurts. Here is with the thing with which I am contending. Right. Here's the thing I'm struggling with. Here's where I'm getting it wrong. Yeah. Um, if we can't do that, then the rest of this sermon series is going to be real boring for you. <laughs> real, real boring. Real boring. Real boring. Um, you got to go towards the pain. Right. And in the 12 steps, they start where they start with that is in powerlessness, right? You need to admit your powerlessness. That's not a place that any of us like to be. No. Super uncomfortable. And I think sometimes 
we can go, yeah, you just got to do this, right? And this is one of those things we kind of have to sink into for a little bit and just be like, no, 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 (laughs) really, really. This is, this is what we're talking about. This is the kind of thing where we have to be vulnerable and open and open, real honest and honest. So let's dig into it then. We're going to okay. do in this episode, uh, it's going to be a longer episode. Sorry, we should have told you that at the beginning. Although you've seen it on your podcast feed yeah, anyway. you can figure that out. Um, this is the intro, but we're going to do the first two steps today. Yeah. And then we will do one yeah. step a week for the rest of the summer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as we go through this. And so the first step is that powerlessness. Step one. And one of the things Richard Rohr says, and I really appreciate this, is I don't know why the hmm. world is this way. Right. I don't know why we experience strength and weakness and power mm-hmm. and powerlessness. I don't know why everything is this topsy-turvy, upside-down, ironic world that God has created. Right. But I know it's true. Right. Because of my own experience, and experience because of, of other people's experiences, I know that when we go towards the pain, we're able to find healing in ways that, that we can't when we don't. And so this powerlessness has to be the place that we start. We have to admit that there is something over which we just can't, we just can't do it on our own. We just can't fix it on our own. And the thing he says, and I found that this is also true, is that the people who fail who have acknowledged their failure, even by their own sense of what is right. Mm -hmm. The people who can acknowledge their own failure often break through to enlightenment, to compassion, to recovery faster, not, not more easily, but certainly more successfully than the people more significantly, maybe more significantly than the people who have always been able to kind of get by on their own. Right. One of the things I, I see in the, in, in talking about this is that, you know, in some ways, it's like God's playing hide and seek with us, mm. right? Like this is a big cosmic game of hide and seek, but it's not a game of hide and seek to be mean. No, it's a hide and seek in order deeper. that we would go deeper. Yeah, that we would not stay at the 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 surface of grace, yeah. of mercy, of any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that we have the ability to sink in. And Richard it's something, Rohr, he yeah. calls it the cosmic economy of agree, grace. Which I thought was great. If you've always gotten by on your own fuel, why would you look for a higher octane right. fuel? Why would you tap into a greater right. power? And I and I also really appreciated his lines about, if you, you can't just know it by going to church, mm-hmm. you can't just know it by reading scripture, and you can't just do it know it by listening to others you have to experience it It, it's something you have to go through right and you have to choose to go through it absolutely i i think it was really funny when in the book he said in case you've always been able to get by on your own high octane fuel at some point or another god will help you to experience several big things at once that you cannot handle on your own and take advantage of those moments yeah basically yeah a story that, that pops into my mind, and this is such a little thing, right? But I have this this friend in junior high who could get A's without trying an eye, yeah. right? And I was not struggling, but I had to, you know, had to do the homework, I had to do the work. And I remember she was thinking about skipping ninth grade. I, you know, it was all so easy for her. And then she hit ninth grade, and it was like, like a wall. And I just I think of that experience of like how many of us do that. Like it's it's fine until, and then we need to have that experience. Yeah. The, yeah. What do you do when you're at the end of your rope? Nope. We cannot engineer our own transformation. If this is really a life thing and not just a, a high right. moral ground with no no uh, skin in the game, no flesh in the game, as Devin would yeah. say, um, then we actually have to experience this. And this first step is probably the hardest one. Right. 
Um, Meister Eckhart says the spiritual life is more about subtraction than addition. addition. Yep. So to be able to acknowledge the things that need to change and we hate to change. We talked about this before, but when we're doing something and it's not working, we tend to just do more of it. Mm -hmm. Like if I just work harder at this thing, then it will suddenly start to work. Right. Instead of saying this thing doesn't work, let's get rid of it. Right. And if any of you are out there going, so where does Jesus talk about this? Like, I think that's an important thing to talk about, right? Like Jesus talks about this over and over again in the parables um, when he talks about grains of wheat and the pruning that needs to happen. Right. You know, um, the the grains of wheat have to have to die to what they are to become what they are going to be. Yes. Right. And the pruning has to happen so that the, there's health and wholeness in the plant. That's what Jesus. This is what Jesus is talking about. This realization that we're not that there, we're in process, we're and in that process. there's pieces of ourselves that are going to have to die. The thing that we are now is not what we are destined to, to be. become. And and I always it's connected to how I talk about how God loves you, mm-hmm. right? That like God loves you fully as you are now, mm-hmm. but God also loves all the permeations of who you could become, right? If you allowed God in, right? And if you were willing to accept God's help, right? Imagine, imagine how you might grow and develop and change. Right. So this first step was is we admitted we were powerless over our addiction and our lives had become unmanageable. Mm-hmm. Step two is then saying, well, what do you do then? Yeah. I feel so powerless. Uh, I, I can't fix this thing. What is next? Well, the next is we came to believe a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. <sighs> I love that. I do too. So step two is desperate desiring. Yeah. We desperately desire to change. Because you can admit that you're powerless over something and stay there. Oh, yeah. People do it all the time. Or you can admit that you're powerless over something and then want to change enough Mm -hmm. that you can change. In fact, this is what therapy does. Right. Therapy doesn't make you feel good about where you are. Therapy makes you uncomfortable enough with where you are that you're willing to change. This desperate desiring, this surrendering is a slow process. Right. And it's an over and over and over again process. That was really, um, we talked about the sermon at Monday night Bible study and everybody was like, I so needed that reminder. The church dogma has come up with this idea of, of once you're saved, you're saved. And ugh. Ugh, right? Uh, that's not a very Wesleyan yeah. idea, but John the way. Wesley says you have to be born again every day. Yeah. You gotta choose again every day. Choose again every day. And that's what we're talking about here is the is the process to coming to that choosing again. Yeah. Because we're actually gonna do the choosing again in step three. <laughs> right. But 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 to think about what that means and what that looks like is what we do. Yeah. What it, yeah. Well think about who you want to be in five years mm-hmm. and what are the things that need to change now in order for you to become that person. And I'm not talking about wealthier or smarter or whatever. I'm talking about like, do you need to be more compassionate? Right. Do you need to be more forgiving of yourself? Self. Do you need to have some more grace in your life? Right. Do you, do you need to, do you be need to more... stop listening to that voice, that, that tape that's in your head that tells you you're not worthy? Do you need to be more disciplined? Mm-hmm. Do you need to actually work on the practice of what we're talking about? So it's not just an intellectual idea, but it's something that you live in your life. Mm-hmm. I know so many people who can describe to me all the facets of grace and they are the rudest, right. meanest, right. most judgy people right. in the world. Because and it's like, that's not helpful, right? right. You got, can you, can you, can live, you actually into this? live it out? So Richard Rohr says there's three things that all have to open at the same time mm-hmm. in order for this desire to grow in us. Mm-hmm. Our opinionated heads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Our closed down hearts and our defensive and defended bodies. 
Yeah. He says, religion is for people who are afraid of hell, but spirituality is for people who've been through it already. Yeah. And who know that this stuff can help you get through. Right. Instead of just avoiding, to just face it, to just get through it. Yeah. So then he goes through, what are the practices that can help open up these things? Right. So So, head practices. Susan, what do you think? So head practices, meditation, like centering prayer, Mm -hmm. those practices that are not the list of things. You want from Santa God? That you want from Santa God, but the process of just letting the Holy Spirit speak Mm -hmm. to you without going, oh, no, no, I can't do that. Or are you crazy? Without distraction. Without distraction. Without coloring it with your own. Without agenda. Without an agenda. Richard Rohr says the worst thing the church has done is talk about saying your prayers. Have you said your prayers today? Like, it's just something that you say. Yeah. Yeah. That that praying is about listening. Right. Have you listened? Have you... You know, get get the stuff off your chest. You need to get off your chest so that you can can listen. listen. But then listen. Listen. Spend some time. Yeah listening and there's lots of ways to do that yeah so we have to open our opinionated heads the second thing we got to open is our closed down hearts you know one of the important pieces of that is is healing the hurts of the past mm-hmm. yeah. not forgetting them not not saying they didn't matter but really healing them yes and allowing that healing to happen because i think that's one of the biggest barriers many people carry is that like they are still hurting from fifth grade yeah and they're 60. And, and and I don't want that to sound uncompassionate. No, no. What I mean is, don't let that rule you. Right. Wait, you, you're more than... Why? It's, a, it's that whole, you know, what are, we, what are you giving power over to? Yeah. Stop giving that stuff power. Stop giving and, them a speaker to amplify. Or even um, the, other, the other line I hear is, you know, they're, it's, they're renting space. In your head. In your head for free. Yeah. Not okay. Uh, the other thing Richard Rohr talks about in this section is um, the art of connection. Yes. Which I, you know, yeah. You, Develop your, your curiosity. Your curiosity about, about other people, people. Right? In appropriate ways. Don't ask them weird questions. No. Yeah. But, <laughs> and, you know, judge the them, situation. Hey, where, where are you from? What was that like? What was your family like? Where, right. You know, what or, are you doing now? What do you love to do? do? What, you know, what are you doing in your free with? time? What have you been up to? What, what, what has kept you busy since the last time we met? Engage with people. Right. That's important. Yeah. Care for people. Um, He also talks about right brain activities. So things like music and art and Mm -hmm. dance and nature and poetry, playing a game. Go home and play some Scrabble. Yeah. Let that heal you. Right. Right. Uh, Or just, I mean, because that that fits two of these categories, right? Like the connection and the... Yeah. And the the other thing I want to say is life-affirming sexuality. Yeah. To not repress or to be angry or to judge, but just to find a healthy way to express yourself. Yeah. That's okay too. But the, the, the nature one reminded me of that conversation we had yesterday with Shirley mm-hmm. about taking a woman for a walk. Yeah. Shirley a- Van Dam is our amazing kindred hearts coordinator. So she helps us to do pastoral care among all the churches in sort of Northern Reno and Sparks. And she took a woman, yeah, she went this, to go visit a woman in a group home right. who had been declining part of her work as a, ho- as a hospice chaplain. chaplain. And this woman used to hike and be out in nature all the time. And she really said, do you want to go for a walk? And so she went out and she said, every five steps. Oh, doesn't the wind feel amazing? And then another five steps. Oh, isn't that just lovely? The sun feels so good, good. on her skin. Yeah, and, and just, just and, the and healing nature of being, being outside. outside. Get outside. Get outside. Yeah. And then also recognizing that those places that hurt are places where you're being broken open. Right. 
So I quoted Leonard Cohen because I like to do that. Mm -hmm. Ring the bells that still can ring. There is a crack in everything. Mm -hmm. That's how the light gets in. Yep. In other words, don't avoid the cracks. Recognize the cracks. So we have we have to open our heads up. We do that with prayer. We have to open our hearts up. We do that with relationships and with creative action. And we have to open our bodies up. Yeah. And this one's a little harder to describe. Yeah, for, for a religion that says that we are all about incarnation, we've spent a long time repressing our bodies. Yes, because we've gotten gotten these ideas that our bodies are bad and we get this dualistic thinking. That right, the body and soul are separate right. when the body and soul are one. one. We cannot, we are, one does not exist, you know, one does not exist at least on this plane without the other. Right. We, we are whole. We are one. Right. Um, and so what happens when you ignore or repress something mm-hmm. for a long period of time, anybody know any middle, middle children, um, is that they will seek revenge. They will, <laughs> they will find a way to get right. your attention. And so there's a, probably a reason why America is one of the unhealthiest places to live in the world because we've spent with our puritanical heritage so much time telling people their bodies are bad and they should be covered up or they should be exploited. If you're a woman, like we have this horrible relationship with our bodies instead of letting our bodies be healthy and whole. Well, and we also like, like the other, the other example that occurs to me is that we, we actually actively train children Mm -hmm. not to respect what their body tells them not to do. Oh, like, like go hug aunt Sally. And they say no. When they say no. Yeah. Right. Um, we've trained out of our bodies in a lot of ways the 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 the, the feedback loop yeah that well, helps us understand and our own instinct and our instincts about what's going on around us and it doesn't mean that we think Aunt Sally's a horrible a bad person. person it's just but that we have to let a kid choose that's a tangible example of what, what what we're talking about in terms of feeling and being in your body mm-hmm. and acknowledging your body has something to say to this situation. Absolutely. Well, and to acknowledge that our bodies are not just our own bodies, but the way that we are incarnate together on the planet. Exactly. So like we have a very unhealthy planet. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. We've sort of been ignoring the signals for yeah. way too long. And we still have people who are saying, no, 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 everything's fine. Climate change is real. Amen. The environment is polluted. Like mm-hmm. there are things that we've done yeah. because of our incarnation on the planet that have caused damage. And how do we heal those things? Yeah. So in order to increase this desperate desiring for this salvation, for this wholeness, for this healing, we have to crack open our heads. We have to crack open our hearts and we have to be open with our bodies um, in order to even receive this, this growing understanding of we can be different. We can change. We can do this hard thing and that's okay. And so all of those things together, when we get all of those things together open, then we can be present to the God who is always present with us. And maybe my favorite quote of the book of the chapter so far is from Paula Darcy. She says, God comes to us disguised as our life. Amen. Yeah. So to be present to God who is always with us. Right. Um, to help us to develop this deep desiring in us. The theme of this book, this breathing underwater thing, comes mm-hmm. from a poem. And yes. Susan's going to read it. So it's, this is a poem by Sister Carol Bielek called Breathing Underwater. It obviously has inspired Richard War. So here it is. I built my house by the sea, not on the sands, mind you, not on the shifting sand. And I built it of rock, a strong house by a strong sea. And we got well acquainted, the sea and I. Good neighbors, not that we spoke much. 
We met in silences, respectful, keeping our distance, but looking our thoughts across the fence of sand. Always the fence of sand, our barrier. Always the sand between. And then one day, and I still don't know how it happened, the sea came without warning, without welcome even. Not sudden and swift, but a shifting across the sand like wine, less like the flow of water than the flow of blood. Slow, but coming, slow, but flowing like an open wound. And I thought of flight, and I thought of drowning, and I thought of death. And while I thought, the sea crept higher till it reached my door. And I knew then, there was neither flight, nor death, nor drowning. With that when the sea comes calling, you stop being neighbors, well-acquainted, friendly at a distant neighbors, and you give your house for a coral castle, and you learn to breathe underwater. So as we go from this place, may the ocean of grace envelop you. May you find yourself able to admit that there are some things you need help with and able to desire something different for yourself. God thinks you're worth it, and so do we. And the homework that we send people out with every week mm -hmm. is may you go out and love every person you meet, even the ones you might not think deserve it, which might include yourself, because mm -hmm. God thinks they do. Amen. Amen. Amen.